You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. This is a safe place, right? Like, I can share something with you. I know it's like Easter Sunday, we're in church, and nobody's judging in church, right? So can I share something with you? Is this a safe place? Y'all can nod your head at me. Class participation, appreciate that. So... One of the most annoying things to me in life is when someone comes t- to me and says, hey, Chris, you know, you, you've maybe gone through this experience, or I, I want your opinion about this thing. And so th- they come and they, they share whatever's on their heart or in their situation. They go, now, now give me your advice in this situation. And so I proceed to give them the advice, like, hey, I, you know, if I would do X so that Y would happen, and then it always works this way, right? They don't take my advice, and then what I told them was going to happen if they didn't take my advice ends up happening, and I'm like there pulling my hair. I'm like, gosh, dog it, if you'd have just listened. Some of you are going, that never happens to me, and I'm like, well, you're not a parent because if you have kids, it happens to you every day, right? You tell your kids not to touch the hot stove, what are they going to do? Yeah, you're, you're not right. My hand is invincible, ah! right? That's what happens. That's what kids do. It doesn't matter what the situation is. That's how it works. A couple of years ago, probably about 15 now, I had a buddy of mine come to me. I had recently given my life to Jesus in the, the, the couple of years leading up to this moment. God did a radical work in my heart, and he came to me and was like, hey, Chris, I, I kind of want what you have. I see a lot of really good things happening. My life's not going in the right situation. Can you disciple me? A, it was a big thing that he even knew that phrase, like disciple me. I was super proud of him for it. I was like, let's do it. So we start meeting. We go through the Bible together once a week. We're walking through the Gospel of Luke. And I'm giving him this advice. We're asking hard questions. I'm trying to hold him accountable. And week after week after week turns into month, goes by. And I'm going, bro, I'm not really seeing you, like, take the advice. Like, I'm not really seeing the fruits of what... I'm, I'm saying and what I'm telling you to do. And, and I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, but you, you kind of get to this place. You're like, why aren't you listening to me? Because I know the answer. And I found this place with him, and I, I just kind of sat him and I was like, hey, what's going on? He goes, oh, well, I fell in love, so everything you said doesn't matter anymore. It's like, great, fantastic. Thank you for wasting my time. I appreciate it, all the things. But I, I wonder why this happens. I mean, you've probably been in this situation where somebody approaches you, they ask you for your advice, you go through it, you give it to them, and they don't take it. I mean, this has probably happened with, with me. Somebody's come to me, or I've come to them, like, hey, can I get your advice? I don't take it. Why is that? Well, I think there's probably a lot of different reasons, but one of my thoughts behind it is this. Until we experience the thing that we're getting advice about, until we go through the moment, the advice and the warning that we, that we got means very little. It's only after we experience something does the advice and the warning hold true meaning. I mean, th- think back to some advice somebody's given you or you've given somebody over the years. In the moment, you go, okay, that might be sound advice, and you may take them up on that, but there might even be a shred of doubt in that moment going, I mean, I hear you, and because I respect you, or I think you might be right, I'll go through this, but you're kind of tiptoeing through the advice Because you're like, I I don't know if this is going to work. And once you get to the end of it, you're like, oh, it did work. Or no, I'm never asking this person for advice again. I should have never went on Facebook anyway, right? (laughs) But this happens, right? Like we just don't trust advice until we've gone through the experience. For the past couple of weeks, we've been walking through this series 
talking about victory and looking at this unexpected journey of our Savior, Jesus. We say unexpected because when He comes on the scene, the Jewish people were expecting a Messiah to be this warrior king. This leader who would come in and right all wrongs with an army tank and a machete, and he was going to be like Rambo, right? He was going to come in and make everything right in that moment, but instead they get Jesus of Nazareth. Eventually, this king, this, this Messiah, would then put on a crown of thorns and be beaten and mocked in front of an entire crowd. And the Jewish people would look around and go, this is supposed to be our Messiah, our, our Savior? How is this guy anything like what we were expecting to get? And as we gather today on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, the, the Sunday we celebrate the greatest victory ever won, I want to ask you a key question. A question that that kind of goes into this idea of the unexpected journey and the end result that we see in Jesus is that yes, He is crucified, but a lot can happen in three days. He resurrects. What does the resurrection of Jesus mean to you? What does the resurrection of Jesus mean to you? Like in in a tangible way. Like, I mean, an everyday thing, not just like a, I've got my fire insurance deal, but like legitimately, when you wake up and you got the case of the Mondays, what does the resurrection of Jesus mean to you? For some, the, the cross and the resurrection, as 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, it's, it's folly, it's foolishness. For others, it's a stumbling block, 1 Corinthians 1.23. Galatians 5.11 says it's offensive. But then for others, the Gospel of John says it is the hope of glory. It is everything. It is the very air we breathe. How can we have two totally different experiences with this cross and the resurrection? Maybe it's because we haven't had that experience. We've maybe been given some advice. Maybe, maybe you haven't been given the advice. Maybe you haven't been told the gospel. Maybe you're saying, I've never experienced God, and so you're saying, you can preach at me all day, preacher, but until he walks down this aisle, it doesn't matter. We come into a place like this on Easter Sunday, and all of us has a different story. That's, that's the beauty of the church, right? We don't come in all pretty. We like to think we do. I mean, some of you ladies, you're really pretty this morning. But I mean, like internally, what I'm saying is like, we, we walk in and we We put on our Sunday best and we act like there's nothing wrong, but the reality is that's not what the church is supposed to be. The church isn't this place where we come and fake it. The church is the place where we come and we we bear our birds with with each other. And we say, look, man, I had a crummy week. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. My kids are pulling my hair out, and I'm pulling their hair out. My wife or my husband hates me. My job stinks. I don't make enough money, and I stub my toe too, right? But seriously, we come in with baggage to the church. And what, what Jesus in his word tells us over and over again is to stop carrying the baggage but lay it at the feet, Like, lift off your burdens and take on His. 
And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 22 to begin our, our journey this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn there with me. Luke chapter 22, we're going to get there in just a minute. If you don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles in the back. I think I can get one of my ushers to, to grab some. If you don't have one, we'd love for you to have one. You can slip your hand up, we'll bring you one. If you don't own a copy of God's Word, we would love to give you that. We, we don't value my words, we value God's words. So Luke chapter 22 here in just a minute, we're going to be beginning in verse 7. But I, I think to, to get back to my point, why we don't always recognize the power and the resurrection of Jesus is because we haven't experienced it. We haven't seen the evidence. We haven't heard the call. And so what I want to do this morning is I'm kind of hoping through the power of the Spirit, God will kind of open our eyes and our hearts. He'll show us the evidence and He'll give us the call to, to receive Him. I want us to walk through the, the last meal and moments of Jesus' time with the disciples in the hopes that God will open our eyes to the greatest victory ever won. So in Luke chapter 22, verse 7, this is the, the beginning of the Passover feast. This is Thursday, the day of unleavened bread. And so I want to read this text as we dive in and kind of unpack what's going to happen with Jesus and the disciples in this famous last moment. Luke chapter 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. This is, a, this is a meal. It's a kind of a ritualistic worship moment. They said to him, where will you have us prepare for it? And he said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a, a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So this is that famous upper room moment. If you've grown up in the church or around the church, you've probably heard this. If you haven't, well, here it is. It's a famous upper room moment. You can quote it as that, right? Pastor Chris, famous upper room moment. There it is. Jesus is going to wash the feet of his disciples. He, he, he's going to tell one of them that, hey, they're going to betray him. This is a huge moment in, in the story of Jesus and the disciples. And all of it is centered around what is called the Passover Seder dinner. Passover meal. It's, it's a meal that kind of focuses on the, the remembrance of the Jewish people's history and God's faithfulness. The word Seder here literally means order in Hebrew. So it's the Passover order. And they actually have a book called the Haggadah. And it kind of walks them through the, the order of this service. And there's songs that are sung and there's scripture that's read. And there's, there's moments when you'll eat this and you'll drink that. And this whole thing has a, a, a semblance of order that's going through it. And all of it serves a purpose to point people back to their history, their roots, and to God's faithfulness. Now there's a lot of items, a lot of things that go on in this. So I don't, I don't, for, for sake of time, I don't want to go through all of them, but I want to show you just a little bit of what they did that night to hopefully in the end show us the picture of what Jesus does three days later in this feast. So one of the things that they would eat is the shank bone of a lamb. Now this is important because the shank bone of a lamb kind of reminded the participants at this dinner of God's salvation. It, it literally takes them back to the Passover moment in Exodus. And this is, this is a moment when 
all of the firstborn were going to be slaughtered. And what God tells His people is that, hey, if you'll just sacrifice a lamb and then take that blood and literally put it on the doorpost of your house, the Holy Spirit, God, will pass over that house and will save your children. And so this is a moment where they, they have this bone. It's an, it's an extremely important aspect of the bone that it's not broken. It, it's a whole piece. And so they have the, the shank bone of a lamb. They have the matzo or it's unleavened bread. This, this reminds the people partaking the, uh, of the story of their salvation. When they were held captive and escaping from Egypt, they didn't have time to let the yeast rise in the bread. So basically what they did is they just made the bread without the yeast rising and it ends up being like a Domino's thin crust pizza without the cheese and the tomatoes, right? It's kind of like that communion bread that you take that tastes like styrofoam. Maybe, Maybe a little better than that. No salt, no pepper. And it's just dry and cracky. But it's the bread. And this is what they, they, they take it. They, and this helps them remember of God's moment of saving them, and they had, to, they had to flee quickly. The next thing they take is the, is the carpos, and this is usually parsley that they, they would dip in like salt water, and they would take it and they would eat it, and it would remind them of the bitterness of the moment, but it would also remind them of the hyssop. It's kind of, think of it like a brush that they would use to dip in that Passover lamb's blood, and then that's what they literally applied over the doorpost. And so it would point them back to this, this moment that God saves them again. And these are just a couple of moments in this feast. Now, now here's the beauty of this dinner. The Jewish people had, had been partaking in this meal most of their entire life. Most every disciple at this table would have probably at this point done this 20, 25, maybe even 30 times. They knew all the songs. They, they knew the prayers. They, they, they knew the rhythm of everything. And I'd be willing to bet you that for some of them, the Passover ended up just kind of being another event. We don't know anything about that, do we? Like if we're not careful, what we're doing right now is not even necessarily the main event of today. Like we spend a lot of time online shopping, preparing for this, and what family picture we're going to take, and where's the Easter bunny going to be, and eggs, and all the things. My family did them all, so don't hear me saying like, oh, the pastor's just up here berating us. I'm saying, what's the main thing? Is the main thing the main thing? Because the disciples are sitting at this table, and if they weren't careful, they would let the main thing not be the main thing, and they'd miss the entire picture. And what Jesus is going to do here in just a moment with them is He's going to unpack and show them the full picture of what's going to happen and what the Passover actually points to. And it is this gorgeous picture that Jesus is going to fulfill the Passover. He is going to become our spotless lamb. Now, we don't have every word said by Jesus in, in this moment, but we have enough. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. It says, now as they were eating, again, Passover Seder, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, most of the time when we read this text, we're, we're generally reading in the context of taking communion as a church body, and so we, we forget about the Passover 
dinner. We forget about this, this Seder, this, this moment. But what's happening here is at a Seder dinner, there's four cups of wine that will be drunk during the event, during the dinner. And so the first cup, and each cup has, has kind of a name, a symbol, symbolism. The first cup is the cup of sanctification. The second is the cup of judgment. The third is the cup of redemption. And then the final one is the cup of praise. And at this dinner, Jesus takes this first cup, this, this cup of sanctification, and he looks at the disciples and he, he leans in and he says, you know, the next time that we will drink this, it will be in the kingdom. He's foreshadowing, he's pointing to this picture that one day when we will be in heaven, we will be fully sanctified, you will be whole, we will partake again together. Later, Luke twenty two twenty, he takes the third cup, the cup of redemption. And he uses that cup as a symbol of the new covenant in his blood. In that moment, Jesus is prophesying. I mean, speaking truth, future truth, the fulfillment of this Passover. And he's infused the entire feast with a new meaning that points to him being the Passover lamb. See, there was this moment when there was a lamb slaughtered to save all people. And here Jesus says, I am now the lamb. You will no longer have to continue to slaughter lambs. I am the sacrificial spotless lamb. I have come to make all things new. Go back to that shank bone of a lamb. Remember, the bone need not be broken. It needed to be whole. And what do we see in Jesus' body? It was whole. Not one bone broken. Prophecy fulfilled. John 1.29 says that Jesus was the Lamb of God. Here's the cool thing about the bread. So at the beginning of the feast, they'd, they'd have this bag. The bag's called ikid. And, and the word literally in like Hebrew would mean complex unity. And the bag has three different compartments. The first piece of bread, they would take it and they would hide it in the first chamber of, of the bag. Never to be seen again. The third piece would be the piece they would put in the, the third chamber, but that would be the piece they would use to eat the entire meal. So every moment that they, they would eat something or be actively doing something to, to eat or drink, this is the bread they would have. The second piece, they would break it in half. They'd put one half in the bag in the second chamber, and the other bag, the other piece, they would wrap in a linen cloth. Now, the Jewish people typically describe this as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They can't fully explain, though, why you broke Isaac, that second piece. And here's where Jesus comes in. Remember that complex unity, the word ikid. That's what it means, complex unity. Think of the Trinity. And that first chamber, you have the piece of bread that's to be seen by no man. That's God the Father. And the third, you have that piece of bread that goes in, but it's the most active part in every part of your life, in the eating and the drinking and all the things. That's the Spirit. And then in this second chamber, this second piece of bread that is broken, it's Jesus. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four 24 says that when Jesus had given thanks, He broke the bread and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he would take that broken bread and half of it goes into the bag. This represents God's divinity, his, his God-likeness. And the, third, the, the second half of that broken piece, 
He then wrapped it in linen cloth, which represents his humanity. And Jesus is fulfilling right in front of their eyes the Passover feast. He's, he's showing them, hey, yes, we can look back and remember, but there is a new meaning. There is a future purpose for this. And in just a few d- days, I'm going to completely fulfill it. And they're sitting around the table, and they got no clue what this dude's saying. I mean, they're just, they're, remember, they've, they've gone through this feast numbers of times. You would think at some point they'd be like, hey, bro, you went off script. Like, wh- where are you? That doesn't happen. They just kind of let it go. Maybe at this point they've learned, I'm just going to sit there and be silent because if I say something, he's going to rebu- rebuke me, and I'm still not going to know what he's talking about. I don't know what it is. But they don't know what's going on. They don't take his advice. They're missing something. And in a few hours, he's going to be arrested. Peter's cutting ears off, and Jesus is putting them back. And he's like, hey, chill. This is what's supposed to happen. And they're confused, and they don't know what's going on. They've been walking with him for three years. And they still don't get it. Because they're expecting one thing, and even after all of the advice and the explanation that Jesus has given them, they still don't see the picture. They're running in fear. As as Jesus is crucified, many of them are like, "What's okay, if this is happening to Him, what's going to happen to the people who are following Him? So they're freaking out. Peter's denying Jesus three different times. And all the advice and all the explanation, they're going, I need some experience. I'm not seeing it. And then Jesus gives them the experience where they see the whole picture. Luke chapter 24, verse 45. This is after Jesus' resurrection. It says, Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. To understand it. To get, hey, here's everything I've been teaching. Here's the reason why the Passover was, here, here's, the, here's the thing I tried to nail down with you three days ago. No pun intended. And he says to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You've now seen it. You've heard the advice and you've walked through the experience. You're a witness. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. In one moment, these disciples go from fear and trembling to taking on the world as if they're taking on the gates of hell. I mean, they're, they're charged. They don't even wait, right? They go back to the city and they're like, yeah, it's been long enough. Let's go ahead and elect another leader here. Let's start moving. And the Holy Spirit falls. Tongues are going out. Things are happening. And the church explodes overnight because they saw the advice. They didn't take it. But then all of a sudden, they got the experience. And they go, oh, yes, this is what it's about. We have victory here and now. Not just like eternal victory. See, sometimes in the church, that's what we go to, Right? That's all this is, is fire insurance. Read your Bible. He said, I'm going to give you life abundant now. Not a Ferrari, not a Lambo, not a house with a beach, but abundant life, peace, joy, hope. 
He, he's going to give it to you. He's going to fill you up with His Spirit. And He says, any victory you have is from Me. Anything that you're lacking of, come knock, and I will give it to you. So this Easter Sunday, when we, when we gather and you hear the advice of Jesus, and now we sit on the other side of the table, we see the experience, we have history. We, we have writings from people who would have never wanted to see the cross exalted. It is. It's exalted. We, we have proof. And you see the experience. What does the resurrection mean to you? Today. Right now. In this moment. As you struggle, as we all do, in areas of our life, financially, relationally, professionally, maybe there's an addiction in your life and you're saying, look, I, I don't just need Jesus for eternity. You do. But I, I don't just need the thought of a God I need a God here and now because I'm not seeing a lot of victories. I'm seeing a lot of losses. I'm seeing a lot of pain. And I can't do with this. I can't deal with this. Jesus says, come and lay it down. He sits with these men at the table and He's given them the picture and then He goes to the fulfillment of the cross, taking floggings, taking beatings, taking the crown, being mocked at, spit at. All for you. Whatever loss, whatever struggle, whatever baggage you're carrying, lay it down. Because the victory has been won, church. Not just for your eternity, but like for your here and now, wherever you're struggling, lay it down. Turn. Scripture says to repent. That, that, that means to literally turn from. Your sins, the strongholds, the struggles in your life. And put your faith in Jesus, the ultimate victory. And when you do that, I promise you, you'll see victory in areas you never thought there would be. You'll see that relationship restored. You'll see a peace in your life that you never thought could exist. You'll see your hands loosening the bondage of situations and struggle and hurt and scars that you never knew you could let go of. Because Jesus defeated it for you and through you. So this Easter Sunday, will you take my advice and will you follow the victory of Jesus? Will you see that this Scripture is one big story pointing you to the victory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and our eternal glory of Him. Wherever you're struggling today, maybe, maybe you're saying, hey, I'm not struggling, I'm on my mountaintop. Maybe your struggle is that you're on the mountaintop and you think you put yourself there. Maybe. Maybe you, you think, hey, I, I, I earned this. I did this. Scripture says that everything that happens on this earth, 
God is sovereign over. Like even the birds don't wonder where their next meal is coming from, the psalmist says. So, So maybe the weakness for you is your supposed strength. And my prayer for all of us, no matter where you are this morning, is that we will lay it down. That you'll quit trying to fight the battles of this world with your skill, with your talent, and your effort. Because you're not a spotless lamb. He was. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's saying, come one, come all. Let's go storm the gates of hell. So as we close, we're going to sing a song here. I want to give you some action points. Everyone's got a next step in the room this morning. Maybe you're sitting there, you're saying, I've never put my faith in Jesus. I've never repented. I've never never recognized that I needed to. I never maybe fully understood sin and that sin is death. It it, it, it has separated us from God because we, we missed the mark of holiness. And so because of that sin, I've received death and I didn't even know it, but my eyes have been opened to it this morning. And I want to put my faith in Jesus. So the next step for you would be going during the song or maybe at the end of the service, find one of our staff members, find me, find an elder, find one of the the people who have a seat at the table at this church. And let's talk about what it looks like to give your life to Jesus. We don't have any fairy dust or, you know, special like water or oil I'm going to throw on you. It's just a special thing where you're just going to go, hey, I repent, I put my faith in Jesus. You can do it right now sitting in your seat. It's amazing. It's pretty good. You can do that right now this morning. The second thing, second step, maybe you're in this room this morning and you're going, hey, I don't really have a home church. We've been looking. You know, COVID threw us off. We've been all over the place. And I would encourage you for this second step to find one. Maybe God is calling you in this service, in this moment, to go have a seat at the table at a home church. Maybe it's here. Maybe it's somewhere else. And wherever that is, to God be the glory, I pray that you go get plugged in. What did he tell the disciples once they received the word? Once they understood it? Now you're my messengers, now go. That's not for you to go be on an island. That's for us to come together. So we gather as the church body to then scatter. So those are the first two. The the third one is, maybe you're sitting in here this morning and you're going, hey, I am on the mountaintop. Jesus is in, you know, riding shotgun with me. He's my homie. We're good. I just ask you to pray in this moment. Pray for somebody in this room. Pray for somebody in this world. Maybe somebody specific. Maybe just in general. That they'll turn. Their eyes will be opened to, to the advice and the experience that Jesus has given us through his word, through his disciples, through his, his church. The day will come to know him as their Lord. So all of us have a step this morning in this next song, in this next moment. As we look towards the cross that we say is wonderful, we know that it's only wonderful because three days later, Jesus defeats it. Amen? Let me pray. God, I just ask that in this moment you will convict our hearts, you'll draw us near, you'll allow us all in this room to experience
resurrection life, as your scripture says. The same breath that raised your son from the grave is the same one that lives in us as Christ followers. So God, I just pray that you'll breathe on us this morning. That you'll give us new, new life. That, you, that you, you'll make us be the disciples that you have called us to be. That you'll spur us on. You'll put the people in our life that we need. God, that you, you'll lead us to love you, love others, and invest in your kingdom. God, move in this church and move in your people. It's in your son's precious and holy name I pray these things. Amen.